It's your girl, Sophronia Ivory, host of your new favorite show, No Rewinds. No Rewinds because we only got one shot to raise these kids. We got to see it, think about it, then do what we got to do to raise these kids. What's wrong with my hair, Shan? Hmm. What's wrong with my hair? <laughs> Let me see in this picture. You like this boy named uh, Oliver Twist. What picture? Are you looking at me on the video or are you looking at my um what are you looking at? What do you see? I'm looking at you with these glasses on. Listen, these are prescription glasses. Are they? Listen, and they Gucci. <laughs> this is always thinking labels. <laughs> labels don't mean everything. Let me let me you got these same maybe that's why this boy is wearing these glasses. And he is thinking that they mean something. Okay. What kind of glasses is that? Because, you know, what do they wear? They wear the Cartier's. That's, I can't afford those, though. Just got some. Them, them look like some uh, the glasses that they give you when you on welfare. That's what they look like. <laughs> but I'm telling let me show you. <laughs> That's what they look like. <laughs> huh? she, I get a lot of compliments on these glasses. You in Milwaukee. I know. You know what? Huh? I got him out the drug where the drug is. <laughs> You're in Milwaukee, right? I don't know. Yeah. Listen, uh-huh. it be all drug dealers in there because they they got a whole Cartier section, and that's where you know that's where they buy their stuff at in that section. It's all glassed off, and this was before Corona. Okay, it's glassed uh-huh. off, and they got them. You know, you got to walk around to get to them. I got mine on the other side, though. I didn't go over there. Okay. I just sent you a picture of the boy. It looked like, them look like the same glasses. Well, his got a bar going across, but it puts me in the same framework of, of this real Housewives of Atlanta, whatever the name of that he's on. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> that's what, no. That's what is, I that see when I see him. That's exactly. Yeah, it's okay, though. But you know what? I'm a, I'm a sunglass whore, so I have to like try them on and fit them. So you see, like when I do like this, when I raise my eyebrows, you see how you can see them. You're supposed to be able to see your eyebrows. It's supposed to kind of fit your face and see how it, my face doesn't go outside of the arms. Mm-mm, you froze, so I don't see all that. <laughs> <laughs> froze. <laughs> it froze. Okay. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Why you sound all dry? (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay, so uh, what is your title? I'm a psychologist. A child psychologist or psychologist? I'm an educational psychologist. Mm, What does that mean? I work with children who have disabilities. So how do I know, like, physical disabilities or mental disabilities? Like, how do I know if my child needs to see you? 
typically children are referred by they can be referred by their healthcare professional, their primary provider, they can be referred by the teacher, somebody in the community, but it's usually somebody who has interaction with the child. More than likely if your child is in school, it's the teacher that refers the child. And so why would a teacher refer a child to you though? Like is it that they're like cutting up all the time or they not paying attention? Because I'm just going back to when I was in, I'm thinking like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Uh-huh. I know we can't call them that anymore, uh-huh. but they used to, you know, we used to call it kids. Intellectually, dis- intellectually disabled. Uh-huh. Inter- intellectually disabled. I know you can't call them that anymore, but that's what we used to call them. Right. We don't so, use that no more. Okay. Intellectually disabled. Yeah. And so how do you know if your child or how, if, if I, how do you know if a child is intellectually disabled if they don't physically look like it? It's usually because they can't meet the benchmarks that are set by the school. So they usually aren't accessing the curriculum. So they're usually behind and then they can't do a lot of like basic adaptive functioning that we would expect for a child to do at a certain age. And then we that's when we kind of start to know that they have some cognitive difficulties. Is that when they have they come and they have to be tested like for IEP? Mm, yeah, so if they yeah, so if they're referred and then we do the assessment and then if they found to be eligible, then they will receive an IEP. And what are the criteria for being eligible? It depends. There th- there are like 13 different disability categories that a child can qualify for. And so it depends on what we what disability we think that they have. Okay. Most common is a specific learning disability. That's probably the most common. That's probably what most kids are dealing with. The learning disability? Mm-hmm. Well, see, I feel like I might have a learning disability if I can't comprehend a, a subject. Like, how severe is it where you need to be tested? Like, are you in a seventh grade and you might be functioning at a fourth grade level? Or is it just like... Usually it's if the child is, normally we'll say like if the kid is like two to three grade levels below, uh, we think that the, we will say that the kid might be in need of assessment. Um, And then also if the kid has been provided interventions, which they should, if they don't respond to the, to evidence-based interventions, then that also could be a reason to refer the student for assessment. So it's two different models that the child might qualify under. Mm, okay. Okay. So then once they go through, you do, the, you actually do the testing. Uh, I do the assessment. Yeah. And so what does the assessment include? It's going to be, um, you do a cognitive assessment, you do an academic assessment. Sometimes you look at behavioral stuff, depending upon the referral question. Um, you look at, might be looking at social emotional. You might have to look at adaptive functioning. It just depends on what what the suspected disability is. So it's not like just you have the basic thing for everybody. It could be different. Okay. And so is it like they fill out a piece of paper or you ask them question? Is this like where they have to like move blocks to put them together? And you're, uh, you know, you know how you do those professional assessments and they want to know if you're perfect for the job, if you're a good fit Mm -hmm. for the job. Is that what, what, what kind of, 
what exactly goes into the testing or what? Give me an example of the test. Yeah, so they, um, so it's an, it's an IQ test. And um, so that could be, it just depends on what type of assessment, which IQ test they use. Some, some IQ tests have blocks, some don't. Some are verbal, some are nonverbal. So th- typically you're looking at like processing speed, uh, verbal comprehension, their nonverbal skills. You might be looking at like their, um, you might look into like phonemic awareness. You you might look into like visual uh, visual motor perception, like it just it just really depends on what the how the child presents. Okay, so ADHD is something that you would diagnose. Yeah, so ADHD is something that I would diagnose a kid with having after doing an assessment. Okay, and so what do they do for kids that are like? What's the process after you diagnose? Someone mm-hmm. with a, a child with ADHD, then then what happens? And then we look to see if there's any educational impact. Just because you have a disability doesn't mean that there's an educational impact. So there has to be educational impact. So if there's educational impact, then we might say that the child qualifies for services. And what type of services would they be offered? It depends on where the child is functioning. So it's going to look different for everybody. So one child who has a disability may only be impacted in writing. So then that that student may need accommodations and modifications in that area. Some kids are going to be impacted in every academic domain. And then you have to support them in all areas. Some kids just need social emotional support. So then they might only get counseling. They might not have any academic goals. So that's why it's called an IEP because it's an individualized educational plan. So every kid's IEP is supposed to look different. Oh, okay. And so how much say so does the parent have in this process? The the parent is a part of the IEPT IEP team. So the parent she doesn't have the parent doesn't have any say so in the assessment, but once the results are given and if it's found that your child has a disability, then the parent is a part of the team and the parent does does play an active role. He or she or the two of them are stakeholders. Okay. And our parents are usually receptive. I think I think if you told me that, especially if I went through this process unwillingly. Uh-huh. I would probably be feeling some kind of way. It, it probably would take me some time to get used to the thought that my child has had has a diagnosis. What what do you find? Like how do how are parents are they responsive? Yeah, well, it's not that they you well you don't go through the process uh, without a parent. The parent is in, the parent has to provide consent to the school district. Um, so the parent is usually they usually know that, th- that there's a process happening. Now they may not always agree with the assessment findings, but they typically are aware that there's a, that their kid is in queue to be assessed for special education. So some parents, depending upon what the disability is, are some parents already know. And then some parents you tell them, because sometimes the, the parent thinks the child has a disability and you tell them no, and they may not be receptive to that. So it just kind of depends on, on what they already, you know, uh, assume is going to be the outcome. Okay. So then after the assessment, you have next steps. Yeah. So after the assessment, you write a report, you send the report out, 
and then there's a meeting held. And at that meeting, you go over the, the results. The team determines if the student has met the criteria. And then from there, you develop an IEP. Okay. And then that IEP goes where, to whom, and what, what, what does it, what does it signify? So an IEP is a federal document. So if a kid, if a student qualifies and if, you know, the student, the parent agrees to services because the parent also has to agree to services. So if the student qualifies and the parent agrees to services, then the school district writes an IEP. The IEP follows the child as long as he or she receives services. So it goes to the school um, and then the teachers who are involved with the student are able to see what the goals are and you're working toward those goals. Do you have instances where the, the, the parent doesn't agree with this process? Like once you come back with your findings, I mean, and, and you say, this is what it, this is the diagnosis you, your mm-hmm. child been diagnosed with ADHD and you give them, you know, the team sits down, I guess, with the parent and, and tells the findings, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you have instances where the parent is not respect receptive of the next steps? Yeah, like for example, you might come back and say the child is autistic. Sometimes people are not receptive to their child being autistic, or you may come back and say the child has an emotional disability, and they may not agree with that. So yeah, there are times where parents don't agree. Um, and but then. Is that not neglect at that point then? No, it's not neglect. They just don't agree. And the parents have rights. So under the law, under the individual's um, IDEA, uh, p- parents have rights. So if parents don't agree with the assessment uh, findings, they also have the right to go out and have their own assessment conducted. So they don't have to just take what you say as law. They can go out and get their own assessments, and you can compare the results. Oh, you know, I, I would think that, I mean, that makes sense. A lot of people do go get second opinion. I'm not, I'm not thinking about this. I've never been directly involved with this, but, you know, like in healthcare, you'll go get a second opinion. Right. Um, wow. So what made you want to get into that? Um, I was actually going to go into counseling. Well, actually, I did. I went into counseling. I was getting my master's in counseling. And one of my fraternity brothers said that I would be good as a psychologist. So um, he was an educational psychologist. I kind of shadowed him for a while. And then he just kind of told me to check and see how much more uh, schooling it would take to get my master's in educational psychology. And I did. I found out it wasn't that much longer. And um, I, yeah, I and I went with it. What did you major in in undergrad? English and communication. Oh, okay, okay. So you don't have to major in psychology. Mm-mm, no. So, what question do parents not ask you that you wish that they would? Um. Well, parents don't really know about maybe like the the assessment too. So they don't know tests are culturally or racially biased. So parents don't necessarily ask about that. Parents don't necessarily know the difference between a verbal or a nonverbal assessment or 
parents don't understand uh, discrepancy, or parents don't understand, or parents don't ask me if their child should be uh, interventions, if interventions should be provided to their child before they're tested, or what are best practices before just having their child assessed. So parents don't don't necessarily always understand the process. They don't understand the process, and they don't know what questions to ask. Yeah, I mean, it's but that's common. Like, if the teacher told you your child was behind, would you would you necessarily know that the law says that your child should be enrolled in evidence based interventions, or would you, like most parents, say, "Well, what kind of help can you give my child?" Or tutoring, or if the school said, "Well, I put her in a small group," you might would think that that is an intervention, and that's not an intervention; that's an accommodation. So. There's a lot that parents don't know that regular people don't know because they that's not the jargon that they use in their everyday um, walk. Yeah, I, I don't think I would I would know, too, but it, it would I, I think I would ask some questions like, how do you like give me your your pitch when you're about to tell a parent that they are your, your their child needs assessment or are you the person that makes that phone I, call? I, I don't make that phone call. So by the time the parent by the time they get to me. Uh-huh. They've already spoken with a team and nine times out of ten, sometimes I'm at that meeting, but sometimes I'm not. Um, and usually consent has already been signed and I I call to get background information because at that point your child is going to be tested. And do they don't have to pay for this, right? No. So all, all LEAs, uh, local educational agencies, uh, we pay or United you pay, but you're paying through your tax dollars. So it's done <laughs> as a part of the school, <laughs> as a part of your child being in school. And if your child attends a private school, your child can also get a uh, psychoeducational assessment. You just have to go to the home school and indicate that you think that your child has a disability. And then even though the child goes to a private school, the public school will send out a psychologist to do the assessment. Are, are public schools required to, I mean, private schools re- required to provide those support tools that the kid may need? They are not required. So you may find that your child has a disability and then you can go back to the private school and share the results of the IEP or share the results of the assessment findings. But private schools are, un- they're not mandated by the law to do the same thing that public schools are. Oh, you know, while we're talking, you know, the kids been in private school their whole life. And, you know, when we would be out and they would see somebody with a physical disability or mm-hmm. the, a kid that was acting up like a little bit, they would be very shocked. I remember when Drew was little and I took him to the doctor <clears throat> and there was a little boy and he was kind of banging his head up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And Drew just kind of looked at him and he kind of looked at me like, what, what is this kid doing? And, you know, he was rather relatively young at the time. But when I think like to the school that they went to the majority of their lives, they really didn't have any children with physical disabilities. There mm-hmm. were some kids with um, IEPs, but not many. And so I feel like they haven't been really exposed to a lot of, a lot of, a subset of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true. That's probably true. Yeah. 
Well, because most people aren't paying for children. Most parents aren't paying for their child to attend a private school if they have a disability, unless they're sending them to a private school that is specific for children with disabilities. Mm. And then most private schools also, they aren't necessarily encouraging uh, kids with disabilities to come. They aren't necessarily inclusive like that. Right. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, the pa- and it's not just the school, it's the parents. The parents don't necessarily want their kids to be in a school with children who have disabilities because then that, that also brings down, you know, the, the, the brand of that school. Really? You know what? I would agree with that too. Well, just thinking back. Yeah. Yeah. Are you paying $3,000 a month for your child to go to a school and he's sitting, sitting in a room full of kids who might have an intellectual disability or a learning disability and the teacher is not teaching at the standard that you're paying for? That's right. Yeah. So no. So most people don't want that. No, they don't. They don't. But they know somebody on the block. I mean, they know somebody. With a disability. Yes. Yeah. But disabilities, again, can be varying degrees. So they may know somebody with ADHD or they may know somebody with a learning disability, but it may not be that severe. I mean, even at the private school, there's going to be kids in there with certain disabilities, but they just not be as severe as if you were in a public school where you have access to children with, you know, all type of learning differences. Mm -hmm. So do people do, do children with learning disabilities, do they go on to be successful or, or is there when, when some, when you're given that diagnosis, you know, I feel like my heart would drop maybe. You know how, do you understand my question? Mm-hmm, I do. Yeah, no, people with learning disabilities um, go on to be quite successful. Um, a learning disability is not, is, is, is not like a, a sentence to death. It just means that you have a learning difference. You just learn uh, differently than maybe, other, than what we consider to be a non-disabled person. Okay. Well, then our public colleges required to provide those accommodations as well so they don't provide the same uh so i in iep what you will receive from k through 12 is called an iep the iep itself um is discontinued when the child uh leaves his uh his or her high school or you know public school experience so typically for most kids that's going to be when they graduate from high school, although with if you have an IEP, you are allowed to stay in school until you're 22. So, but for most kids, the IEP, what we term as an IEP, will end when they leave high school. Then, if they go to college, they're they're covered by the American Disabilities Act. So, typically, what will happen is they will take the IEP to the college, and then they will show it to the college, and then because of um, the Americans with Disability Act the colleges will then kind of say, well, we don't do all of that, but we will do this. And there are some colleges that are that lend uh, themselves more, make themselves more available to people who have disabilities. Oh, well, then it's important that you have it prior to going to college. 
Yeah, it, yeah. You need to have it before you go to college. Well, I mean, well, you can also be identified, you know, later on. But if you have it before you go to college, then that's that's indicated as part of your package, and you and your parents can actually talk to the counselors at the school about you know what you may need, and you can find out what they offer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because how? Wait, well, how long does the process take for you? And once you once you first get that referral and you get the final diagnosis of, let's say, ADHD, like, is that a year? Is that a couple months? Like, so it, it 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 depends on what state you live in. So, the federal uh, government, there's. You know, we all operate under IDEA, but then each state kind of interprets that and then they set their own timeline. So you can be in one state where you have 60 days from the date that consent is signed until you have to finish the process. Some states might be 80 days. Some states are 120 days. It's all state by state. So there isn't there's not just one rule that is used in the United States. You, you have to be in your uh, state to find out what their jurisdiction is or what their timeline is. I'm sorry. Mm, okay. So are you still doing evaluations, um, are your assessments during COVID? Mm-hmm. We, so it depends on your LEA. So some school districts are, some school districts um, are, if they are remote, some school districts are doing tele-assessments. We're doing the assessments virtually. And then some schools are, you know, we are in the hybrid model. So some schools are, the kids are in, are, are there in person. So you can test them in person. Are you noticing a difference between your, your, eval- your assessment techniques now versus COVID? Is it, was it easier before? Is it better now or... So if you, I would say that if you aren't doing assessments in person and if you are doing them online virtually, then there's definitely a difference because um, you have to rely more on technology. And then depending upon the social economic status of your students, even though the school district may have given them a device, they may not have, you know, the fastest internet or they may have gotten um, a tablet as opposed to an actual uh, laptop which which makes you know assessments well you can't do assessments on a tablet like that but so it would make an assessment process very di- difficult or challenging they may not have their own space in the house so then that compromises the assessment so you may not be able to do it um, they may be in transitional housing so you know they 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 may not even be living in a house and so you know they may be in a car or they may be staying with relatives or it could be a variety of situations which then make assessments difficult because they're all virtual learners and they aren't coming back into the building. So then you couldn't necessarily, in those cases, you might not be able to do the assessment. Oh, wow. Well, but you have some place to meet. You have an in-person way to meet with the, you, meet with your students, right? You, I, I do. You're I doing do hybrid, have, too? So I do have, I do support a school where we do go in in person where the kids will actually at this time, it's all virtual. So earlier it was uh hybrid, but now the kids are all virtual. So now they have to, the kids actually make an appointment. And if the parents are willing to bring them in, they bring 
their child in and um the they they have to um they make an appointment they bring their child in we follow all the covid procedures and we do the assessment and then for the kids that are not at that school then they we try to do it virtual and for some of them it works and for some of them it doesn't okay all right. Well, any recommendations you would have for our listeners as far as being a support to their children in this in this way? Um, you know, I think that if a parent suspects that his or her child has a disability, you know, they should definitely reach out to the school system first and, you know, have a discussion with the teacher to, you know, discuss, you know, their their concerns. I would recommend that when they do that, that they also ask that the psychologist be present because sometimes teachers may think one thing and they may not necessarily know the full scope of disability. So I would say that I also would uh, suggest that, you know, parents understand what an evidence-based intervention is um, and understand that, you know, tutoring is not necessarily an evidence-based intervention. I think that um, they should, especially if their kids are having problems in school, they should understand that um, most school districts require that the schools, uh, public schools, um, have an RTI program, uh, which stands for Response to Intervention. They should know what the different tiers are um, so that they can understand when the school says that their child is at tier one, tier two, tier three. And they should also know this because if the school doesn't have this, uh, they should you know, be emphatic about the school having some type of RTI process. Um, so, you know, I would just encourage parents to be very much involved in the educational process and try their best to, you know, learn about it and try to figure out, you know, like what the law really says with regards to education and what is available to their child. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your wisdom and your passion. I think that you are in the perfect position just because of your personal passion that you have about the well-being of children. So I thank you as a friend for educating, educating people. So you know the name of the show is called No Rewinds. And mm-hmm. my last and final question for you is if you had to go back in your life and rewind one thing mm-hmm. what would it be and why I don't think you should go back okay why I, I mean I know you don't think you, you well you can't go back but right tell me more unpack that for me um, because you are where you are because of every decision that you made. And so if you rewind something, then that's going to have an impact on something else. So changing one thing could ultimately change where you sit today. Okay. I like that. So you are where you are because that's where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's it for today, y'all. 
Just remember, there is no one-size-fits-all manual to teach you how to be a single parent. Do what you can, then build up your village to help you do the rest, because there are no rewinds. This is Sophronia Ivory, hosting No Rewinds. Don't forget to press follow so we can chop it up next time.